listeners, I'm Wayne Jansen, and today I'm speaking with Kristen O'Connell, who's an operations coordinator at the Anti-Poverty Centre. It's Budget Eve, and Kristen is currently at Parliament House, making noise about the growing poverty crisis in Australia. Welcome, Kristen, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk Thank to us. Thank you for having me, Wayne. Really appreciate um, it. I'd like to start by, a lot of people may not know who you are, who the Anti-Poverty Centre is, how you came into being. So could you just give us a quick brief rundown on the organisation and and also, I guess, also how, how, because I understand that a lot of people involved in this are also living on various types of welfare. So how do you fund it? That's a great question. There are a couple of great questions there. So I'll start with me. Um, I am on the disability support pension. I uh, am autistic and I have uh, some other psychosocial disabilities and um, my background growing up is that I grew up in a single parent household with my mum on the parenting payment with three kids and I was very lucky. I've managed to have some really good jobs in my life and some shit jobs and I've also spent a lot of time unemployed um, because of my disabilities. So um, after I got through the disability support pension application process, which Hopefully, I mean, most of your listeners might already be aware about how difficult that is. It is a real slog and it took it out of mm. me and it takes it out of a lot of people who go through that process. Um, and that also puts a lot of people off trying. Once I finally got through after 10 months, I slowly felt I had a little bit of capacity coming back. So I got in touch with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union and started uh, volunteering with them, supporting other people applying for the DSP. And uh, ended up um, helping out uh, throughout 2020 and 2021 doing communications and media with AWU. And during that time, I worked um, with a lot of wonderful folks, and in particular, my colleague Jay Coonan, who was doing policy. We felt there was a really massive gap in advocacy around social security policy and around welfare and around poverty. Um, and we also felt very badly represented by the people who claim to speak for those of us who are in poverty. So um, we thought there was a real need for a new organisation and the, the AUW is set up primarily to do peer support for people who have um, activity requirements to get their welfare payment and to obviously do public campaigning. But we wanted to do something more um, around systemic policy development and uh, the kind of advocacy that um, involves kind of more boring stuff, basically, <laughs> more boring stuff. And we thought what yeah. we need is we don't call it a think tank. We call it a do tank and an anti-think tank, um, something where we actually have welfare recipients leading the conversation, pushing back on the media and the politicians and the paid advocates and the charities and the researchers who see us as objects and who do objectify us and make us one-dimensional in a way that allows the broader public to find it palatable that we're left in poverty. So um, that's what we're trying to do. We're a group of welfare recipients trying to change the way poverty is discussed and the way policy is made so that people in poverty are the ones leading the discussions and the proposals. So sorry for the long-winded response, but I wanted to try and catch all no, of that's, that. No, that's, that's perfect. It actually it leads me to a point that I was going to ask further along, but it's, it's break the poverty machine. So a lot of people might see that and scratch their head and think, what's the poverty machine? Can you just give us a quick rundown on, on what you mean by break the poverty yeah. machine? 
so the poverty machine is almost um it's kind of very it's got many layers right if we think about there's this whole system got, this is why we have the poverty machine right there's all of these different cogs in it grinding people down into dust and it's some really obvious things like the rate of payments traps people in poverty makes people poor and then it traps people in poverty mutual obligations gets cuts people off their payments um uses up energy that we don't have when you're living on a below poverty line payment all these things trap you in poverty push you further into poverty but there's an entire ecosystem around welfare policy that enables these things to happen you know like these policy settings don't exist in a vacuum they're really cruel settings and they come from somewhere and there are people responsible for creating these policies and there are people responsible for upholding them and perpetuating them and that's and profiting profiting from them absolutely so when we talk about the poverty machine it's very diffuse it includes as you say the organizations whether they're corporate or whether they're so-called charities who are relying on the existence of poverty to make money it is the media who are um treat politicians with kid gloves and behave as if politicians are actual experts in things that they actually know nothing about and just, you know, um, put whatever bullshit out there that serves their political ends basically. And, uh, and they let politicians get away with treating people in poverty as political footballs. There's academics and researchers who do a, a number of really harmful things. And one of those is trying to slice us up into little tiny pieces and they hone in on their their research and they'll look at okay we're going to study like autistic women who got uh diagnosed in adulthood in this one particular aspect of their life right and that they don't look at the whole person and go okay there's all of these factors that are harming and holding people back so their research then is not actually um rich enough to inform sophisticated policy and there's all the think tanks and all of this whole industry around the idea that poverty is a difficult problem to solve so in one sense breaking the poverty machine is very simple giving people money will do that but to actually get people to have more money we need to break down that entire ecosystem and destroy it expose it for what it is and therefore lay the groundwork for everyone to go of course we should just give people money so that there's not poverty and yeah there are a whole other range of more detailed policy measures that then need to sit around that but the first first and foremost we've got to increase rates put that floor under people and then we can do the detailed policy work around other things that fuel um income inequality and other forms of inequality okay so it's interesting that you said you know like the research they focus in on a particular thing and and it was funny last week when um when labor announced that they were going to raise the 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 rate of new start for people over 55 now i heard that and i thought well that's just a wedge but what really stood out to me was it completely blew up in their face so you know like instantly everyone started okay raise the rate for all but it wasn't just raise the rate for all it was there was a lot of focus by you know like loads of people on twitter that this is not just about job seeker this is about all of the rates so in tomorrow's budget because probably that's why i'm talking to you what are you what are you hoping for i mean not what you're expecting but what would be your best out you know your your 
best outcome. Let's put it this way. If I was in government and I was breaking the poverty machine with this budget, I would do I would do a lot of things. But my starting point would obviously be every single payment above the Henderson poverty line, which is not a perfect poverty measure, but it's the least bad one we have. And the reason we use it is because in 2020, the job seeker payment was lifted to the Henderson poverty line. And ACOS, which is one of those members of the poverty machine, a lot of these different groups actually do work that is really useful and important. They just do it in a way that perpetuates the problems. So ACOS had this report that found when job seeker was at the Henderson poverty line, a third of people were still regularly skipping meals and 40% were still skipping medication and healthcare, which was a dramatic drop, but it didn't get rid of it, right? So we immediately want to go Henderson poverty line for everyone, bare minimum. What we'd love to see is a commitment from government to work with welfare recipients and people who aren't on income support because they can't get it, but they need it to develop a much more sophisticated measure of poverty for the 21st century that actually responds to other changes. So for example, if they did another one of my dream budget asks and they invested a lot in both acquiring and building public homes, that the poverty line would reduce because the housing market would change. Um, yeah. So there's some really key major ones, but ultimately based on the reality of what we know we're gonna see tomorrow and how inadequate it's going to be, the thing that I think we will be pushing for is an independent body that determines what payment rates should be because politicians clearly cannot be trusted with making decisions that protect people on the lowest incomes and keep us alive. Um, so that's yeah. the kind of, there's a but, lot there. There's a lot more there, but I won't go into all the details because it's just too much of it. Look, I, I, in the last sitting of parliament, when, when, um, when the Prime Minister and the Treasurer were banging on about supply issues like it was still 2020, 21, my thought went, these bastards are setting up a, an argument to say no raising welfare will be inflationary. So we get to this point where they're flying all these kites, and to me it's almost comical, you know. The government every few days is flying a new kite to see what sticks, what what it's it's comical because it's actually I, th I believe it's harming harming the government what's your take on all this kite flying that's going on which you know like for me i find it really stressful i guess most people on welfare would find it stressful what's your opinion of all of this sort of you know pre-budget bullshit that they go on yeah i think um you're absolutely right that a lot of people it causes a huge amount of distress um it is truly just politicians playing political games with people's lives with no thought for the consequences and no thought for how it affects people when these kinds of speculations are just being made. Um, and particularly when those speculations are in no way based in any kind of fact about material needs. Um, the idea of $20 a week job seeker increase isn't based on anything other than, I don't know, maybe, maybe we should do that. And I think in terms of all of this, stuff that's been happening and all of the very um, seemingly quite random, quite inconsistent and very incoherent ideas that have been thrown out there around cost of living relief and welfare policy is that the government wedged itself. The government very foolishly ha came up with a, an extremely clear black and white slogan to get elected. And that slogan yeah. was yeah. <laughs> no one left behind. Now, 
I don't think there's many people on this continent who would look around themselves and go, I can't see anyone who's being left behind right now. And so they've really exposed themselves for having no actual commitment to the values and ideals that they sold the Australian public. And so I think that all of this um, really weird piecemeal leaks that we're seeing is a response to the fact that they did not realise the community wanted no one to be left behind and they now don't realise that the community can see extremely plainly that there are a lot of people having a very difficult time and the government's choices are really making it worse, not better. You know, it's funny. I, I, I kind of think um, the fact that the independents are backing raise the rate, strongly backing raise the rate and have for years, I mean, Kathy McGowan before Helen Haynes backed a, a rise to welfare, welfare payments, that should be, to me, that should be a sign to Labor that they're actually way out of tune with what's happening. Not to mention all the polls. Um, there are so many polls. Yeah. So many. And they act yeah. like the so community to, doesn't want it. It's like, no. Oh. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, that's a good point to say, okay, so who are the, the MPs? You, you mentioned before um, that you may do this in um, David Pocock's office. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, obviously yeah. David Pocock <laughs> is, is, is very supportive of, of, of what you're trying to do. What other MPs around the, the building are very supportive also? And did, oh, the other question I wanted to ask, because to me, if I see two Labor politicians speak out publicly, that probably means there's four or five in there that agree with them who don't want to speak out publicly. What's your sense of what's happening? Because you've been in the building, obviously. What's your sense of what's happening inside Labor that isn't quite coming across from outside? <sighs> I wish I could say something optimistic on that front. Um, I'm a very cynical person and I feel that a lot of politicians, particularly the ones in the major parties, make decisions for just about everything based on what they think they need to do to gain political advantage. And if you look at mm. the types of MPs who have publicly said, that we should raise the rate. It's not as simple as they're just nice people who care. I get, I guarantee you that all of them will get up and vote for a budget that leaves millions of people in poverty. But what they are is people who are in progressive electorates where they know that their constituents want and expect a lot more. Some of them are under threat from Greens. Some of them may be under threat from independents. And they know that. So I think that a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is very um, very much a political calculation, which is disappointing, but I think that's the reality of it. I also think there is a little bit of not so much hope but something useful in that, which is we can make things politically untenable for politicians and they will respond to that. If evidence yeah. and reason or compassion could change or stories about our lives could change politicians minds we would not be having this conversation now because the rates would have been changed a long time ago so if we know political pressure can force politicians to do things they either might not care about or just not care about that much then we know we have to make things extremely difficult for them 
Um, I don't think there's a lot going on in this building in terms of people behind the scenes being, you know, awesome people who just don't can't say it in public. It's yeah. yeah. I'd love to give you something more hopeful, but it's not my brand. It's not my brand. <laughs> <laughs> So, so who who are the, the the politicians in the building who give you the most support and the most encouragement? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I'd like yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, it's been really great um, getting to know uh, some of the folks in um, the independence offices. Um, and you know, I have to say, so obviously, un- unfortunately for me, I have been here a few times now. Um, and right back to sort of twenty 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 one, when the coalition was still in government, people like Bridget Archer were willing to meet with us. When a lot of Labor MPs weren't. Um, so, you know, we, it's really quite interesting, actually, who will... And again, uh, there's a lot of political pressure in the area of Tasmania that Bridget Archer is from. It is a very low-income area. There are reasons yeah. why she will take stands on some of these issues that people might not expect from her. Um, I will say that in the Labor side, people like Alicia Payne um, will talk. And, you know, we're very frank when we talk to politicians and we're very frank with our feelings when we talk to Labor politicians. And there are quite a few of them who respond really, I think they respond in a way that I'm grateful for and that I respect. They don't try to give us mealy-mouthed shit to, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Sorry, I didn't check when we we started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't try and like (laughs) treat us like we're children. They can understand that we're being forthright because people's lives are on the line. They'll always say something like, look, we can't do what you're asking, but we understand why you're asking. So there's people like Alicia Payne, people uh, like um, Marielle Smith, who's on the Senate Community Affairs Committee, people like Karen Grogan. These are probably names a lot of people haven't even heard, but there are politicians in this building who are interested in these issues um, because of their professional backgrounds, and they may not be able to do much politically but they actually do give us time um, and of course it will surprise no one that most of the greens mps are very open to talking to us often um hopefully about to duck off and, and um chat to senator lydia thorpe shortly um mm-hmm. i feel like i'm forgetting people and i feel really bad about it because we've had some you know polit- and so I, don't, I don't you know if any of the politicians who've talked to us are listening to this and they get upset i just am sorry <laughs> i forgot you <laughs> Yeah, essentially what you're saying, there's a few in, how, how about the Liberals generally? Do you get in the door? In the I would say Bridget Archer's the only from... one real. Oh, you know what? Russell Broadbent now, there's a person who, mm. again, for political okay. reasons, yep. I think often will say things that um, progressives find appealing. He surprises me sometimes, I know, Broadbent. Does he ever vote? Does he, he does. ever vote? Does he always look at their voting record? He doesn't cross the floor, yeah. but, you know. Bridget Archer has crossed but, the floor. But he... he... <laughs> Yeah, um, that's a big difference. But yeah, that Russell, is. Russell Broadwent is currently the deputy um, chair of the committee that's looking at Workforce Australia, the system of mutual obligations, and he's been he's been very receptive and, and had a couple of meetings with us and has I think I think he's come away from those meetings with us actually feeling like he has learnt a lot um, about the system and how it's operating and how it's affecting yeah. people. And certainly I have felt when we've met with Russell Broadbent that he has actually listened and taken on board some of what we've said. And he has said things like, you know, um, 
you know, obviously I don't agree with you about, uh, on everything, but actually like I'm, I'm getting used to you guys, you know, which I found really charming when he said he was getting used <laughs> to us. Cause as I said, we're very forthright. Um, we don't mince words with these people. We actually, and the other thing I would say is a lot of folks we haven't even reached out to just because we don't have capacity. Like we're a small group of people. Oh, you asked me before about funding. We're not funded. Um, so we, we get um, some small donations from individuals in the community. So the only way that we do our work is through community donations. Um, we're lucky that, for example, like I've come to Canberra, I'm staying with friends. So we get both cash yeah. support from the community, but we also get support in terms of things like that, which is really important because, you know, we don't have 200 bucks a night um, just to splash on accommodation whenever we want to. Um, sometimes we do have to find that sort of money and we'll have to do, we do call outs and fundraisers. Um, folks who are familiar with our work might have seen us doing that once in a while. But it's crowdfunding. Yeah, it's crowdfunding. That's right. So people when in, yeah. in this kind of land of advocacy, when people talk about being a funded organisation, it usually means they have some kind of like formal structural funding. Whereas, yes, we, we are crowdfunded. That's how we fund our work. And so it's great. We don't have very high operating costs because we're all unpaid. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously tomorrow I, I think it's pretty obvious it's been obvious to me for a long time that Labor were going to do as little as they could get away with so I don't have big expectations for tomorrow so beyond tomorrow what are your plans what's your next move because obviously to me the budget doesn't end this it doesn't absolve Labor from responsibility until the next budget either in my opinion so what what's your plans in the in the short That's term? That's exactly right. And I think to keep 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 the to keep the momentum going. I think we absolutely have to start having this conversation about who gets to decide how much welfare recipients have to live on. Because it should not be people who don't have any accountability. They don't have real accountability, right? Voting is not accountability, as in when we all turn up to elections. Um we have a fair work commission who decides things about wages and decides many things that affect the federal budget. We have the Reserve mm -hmm. Bank of Australia, which also makes decisions that have a very big effect on the budget. And there is absolutely no reason why there should not be an independent body with a mandate to keep people out of poverty, whose job is to understand poverty and to set welfare payment rates, not to tell the government what they think the payment rate should be, but to set them politicians actually have that they have their own remuneration tribunal so their yeah. wages are not subject to political wins and the amount of money that the poorest people in the community have to rely on shouldn't be either and i think that's really vital because whether or not we convince one of these parties at some point to do something really substantive what we know is that we can never rely on that to be the case long term there have been in the past significant raise increases to income support. Um, I think if I recall correctly, someone was telling me there was a pretty major bump under Whitlam. And then under Hawke, there was another sort of 27% increase after that. So coming off a big increase, they then gave another big increase. What we know is that you can't guarantee that will always be done. And so yeah. that's why we need to make it independent. So that's where I think I'm going to be. There's going to be a lot of things to talk about. That's going to be one of them. And I think that that's the kind of new idea that we need to start getting people to understand. So plans for tomorrow night. You'll be in Canberra? Yeah, I'm going to, normally on Tuesday night, I'm sitting at home in my house reading the budget papers. Um, this time I am going to be trying to get the media to pay attention to some of these um, things that we're saying around 
who should be leading these conversations, why we should be leading these conversations, and what would need to structurally change to ensure that A, we are stop the government in the present day from forcing people into poverty, but that we can set up structures that protect people decades into the future from that situation. And so I don't know how I'm going to go. Maybe no one will talk to me and that's okay. It was worth a try coming down here to do the experiment that someone convinced me to do. I'm resentful towards that person, but that's okay. They mean well. Um, yeah, that I'll be I'll be reading budget papers, but I'll be reading them in between trying to get a journalist to talk to me and to ignore some of those people in the poverty machine that we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, so if people want to get involved or donate, how can they do yeah, that? Yeah, um, any contributions people, if they can comfortably afford to make them, and I really emphasise that, people on low incomes are so generous and often donate to us, but I urge them not to and instead to use that money for a treat for themselves. But people who are more comfortably off, um, every donation that people make goes towards primarily us providing direct um, payment to people to contribute to our work, right? So myself, my co-coordinator, Jay, and other people who are heavily involved, we don't get paid. But when we want someone to tell their story, to write something, we always make sure folks are fairly paid. And that's where the vast majority um, of people's donations go. Uh, and also things like protests and, and coming and having um, activities like this. So people can donate at our website. It's antipovertycenter.org. Um, I also would just encourage everyone um, to jump onto social media Follow us, but also follow the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Um, follow the Renters and Housing Union. If you don't know much about welfare policy, question, when you see people commenting on it, question what position those people hold and start to normalise the idea that people affected by policies should be the ones who get to make the decisions and the proposals about what those policies are. Okay. Well, I'll let you get back to um, your busy work in Canberra. Um, thank you for joining. Thank you so much, Wayne. Joining us um, this afternoon. And look, I hope that we can um, maybe have a chat after the budget, you know, in the wash up to it. How that sounds that great. I mean, um, we might need more than half an hour for that one because I'll probably have 50 things I want to talk about, but you can tell me what you want to. Yeah, no, that's good. But I, we'll leave enough time. Yeah. We'll leave enough time so you've got time to look at the budget papers properly. So, you know, to absorb everything. So, um, Thank you again, Kirsten, Thank for joining us. Thank you so us. much for having me, Wayne. Kristen, Kristen. Right, I don't care. I knew I was going to. I knew I, I was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and hope you enjoyed this No Fibs podcast. Until next time, goodbye.